Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. since we loud radio i'm your host brandon and this is my co-host mountain carl carl how's it going it's been pretty good i uh i took milo to the vet the other day because we were trying to cut his freaking nails and he doesn't like that so he uh. decided to pull his paws away while i was doing that and we kind of like fractured one of his nails so i'm the uh. asshole in this equation and uh and we went ahead and took him, uh, and we have to get him sedated to do his nails because he barks very loudly, and the mm-hmm. vets are scared shitless of him when he does that. So he's not going to do anything, you know. Like he'll bark in our face all the time, but apparently that's that's like a bridge too far. So we had him, yeah, we had him uh, relaxed and and had his uh, his mani pedi done, you know. <laughs> Which uh, they're they're way shorter than they were, so that's that's the good news. But uh, the other thing is that we went to Costco, and uh, if you haven't been to Costco since this whole coronavirus thing no. kicked off, uh, last time I went was a year or two ago, and it was already. The thing is, it's a madhouse. Like I used to work in a Costco, not for Costco, but kind of as a vendor, uh, almost a decade ago. And it was insane how many people would go in there in a given day. I think it was something like I would talk to the, you know, the greeter at the front. Usually, actually, when everybody comes in, they have a little clicker uh, counter yep. and counted like I think it was somewhere between like five and six thousand people just on a Sunday afternoon. I'm not. That doesn't surprise me at all. You know, and, yeah, it's, and it's, crazy. it's still fairly full. It's not it's not like a madhouse where you're like shoulder to shoulder like you usually are. Mm-hmm. But it's a. Uh, I mean, like you remember Half-Life 2 and like the Combine Soldiers and everything, you know, like, yep. uh, you know, it's, you know, there is good, you know, that kind of thing. It's, yeah, that is what I would expect to see in a current Costco because the like things that they've done to it to make it accessible and like, you know, disease free and everything makes it look like something out of like that district it's it's got like plexiglass everywhere it's got lines on the floor that you're supposed to follow it's uh like everybody's walking around with masks i'm i'm it's just like it's a surreal experience and and like i was trying to explain it to the mountain girlfriend and it's just kind of like what do you what do you do because you feel like you're almost breaking the rules like if you go against the grain or anything like the people who used to greet you happily and kind of lazily be like, yeah, go on in. Like you don't have a card, whatever. I don't care. They're all behind like these plexiglass shields now. And you know, it's, it's almost like they're directing traffic from behind a wall 
and uh and then like when you go into the the lines to get out of there they've got the six foot separation like things painted on the ground and when you finally make it over to the conveyor belt you know to get everything checked out that whole stretch of uh conveyor belt is covered by plexiglass wall so you you're like uh you're like handing stuff uh through you know, a little hole kind of like it's a, it's like a sketchy gas station or something. It's, it's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Or like a bank teller. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that's, that's the aesthetic they were going for. I don't know, but it's been, it's been a very interesting experience. Um, you know, I'm like walking around with a mask. So like everybody is, so it's, it's very strange. Well, it's gotta be interesting to, if there was a way, not that I want to do this, but if there's a way to compare, uh, you know, the different chains and how well they're, they're doing all this stuff. Uh, obviously I think Costco would be at the top of the list. Sam's club as well. Um, the ones that, you know, you kind of have to pay to have a membership for you expect the highest quality and they've always been real high quality in terms of, you know, how you check out and, and get all your stuff. It's very timely for places that aren't, you know, exclusive where you have to pay for membership or anything like that. Like HEB, I think would be at the top in terms of having their shit together because, uh, it just being in an HEB regularly, which is for all Texans that listen to this podcast, you know what HEB that is. is, you know, the, the, the store chain grocery store chain that's down in South Texas region, starting like down in Austin. I think there is one as far North as, Ulysses or somewhere close to that. Yeah, uh, no, wait, Waco's got one. Um, yeah, Waco's got one. Yeah. So I think Central Market is an HEB uh, yeah. product. And so yep. I think a lot more Central Markets all over the country than there are HEBs. But yes, for those of you that are not inside Texas, that is that is what it is, is basically a very nice grocery store. So yep. and it's not the prices aren't exorbitant either. I mean, like they're it's a really it's a really good chain. So, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely put them up there. Um, it's just, it's just been very weird. Like that, that whole yeah. situation has been very strange, but I will tell you that like, if you're in, uh, in the, in, in like in our area, like the, the Dallas area, the, uh, the thing that I, I actually was surprised about is how much Costco did have and, and how like apparent, like how obvious they were when they were out of something like you walk in and there's like a whiteboard and they have it like, you know, these are the following things we're out of stock on, you know, well, that's I was good. Like, okay. You know? That makes sense. Yeah. You don't waste your time. Way better than walking all the way over there and being like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just trying to cut down on clutter, you know, trying to cut down on people like, you know, asking and stuff like that. Cause like what a, what a drain on resources when everybody's being stopped. And then you've got that one asshole that's like, what do you mean you don't have alcohol? You know, like isopropyl or something like that, you know? <laughs> and you're like, I well, like, what do you mean? I, what do you mean? You know, we did, we're out, you know, but, right. uh, uh, that's, that's a huge drain on resources when they could be doing something else. So they've got, um, they actually had a good selection of, uh, of beef, like surprisingly, like, I guess it was like, because it's not free, like chicken is, and it's not free. Like eggs are, that, mm-hmm. you know, there's just more beef around. But yeah, we went there and got like uh, a brisket, you know, and, and made food for like days. Oh, so, yeah. Brisket. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, dude. So it was, I mean, we're, we've got like our fridge is just like full of brisket now. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, 
but that's I mean we were cooking for multiple days anyway. But yeah, it was uh they've got that stuff. They've got like a, a boatload of produce. But then like you walk over there and you're wondering yourself, do I really need like 70 onions? You know, because uh, it's all in like giant bags. So it's it's kind of cool in that regard because they do have so much and it's really freaking cheap. But also, I was I mean maybe this is just me and probably just you but like looking at it and being like oh my god like i'm not gonna go through like 70 onions in a week you know like all of this shit's gonna go bad so you also didn't want to be that guy that was like gonna grab it when like a probably a family would actually use that kind of food yeah so (laughs) anyway um unless you're gonna use like onions for you know baseballs or something like that i mean then in that case you're, it's been known to happen. Yeah, you're doing not pretty for good. me, but not for me. Someone else in this company. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So some, uh, some weird guys that uh, like to talk like they're in the 1940s from time to time. Fact. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, it, it's it's been a, a pretty pretty bizarre deal, and uh, like trying to go home and then like decontaminating yourself after that kind of thing. Well, it, it's a bizarre week too. On top of that, like it's. As things are progressing and time's elapsing now, like I've been, I've been working from home for just about a month, right? Probably just a little over a month. Uh, It's hard to even know like what day it is. It's hard to believe we're now in the second half of April. Um, Seems like we were just here a year ago, you know, but, uh, but it's been really strange because like, you know, yesterday I, I, I left the house after work and needed to get some much needed items and, you know, obviously every county is kind of doing its own thing. So, you know, Dallas County and, you know, the county that Austin's located in Harris County for Houston. Yeah. So it's Travis believe, County for Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Travis County. Yeah. And I believe Harris is doing this too, but I haven't really read up on it. It's hard for me to kind of keep up with all that's going on with that. Um, but, you know, I, I did hear that starting Saturday today uh, that Dallas County is going to be enforcing the, you know, you got to wear a mask if you're going to an essential place like a store or whatever. Otherwise, you can get fined a certain amount. Um, I so, thought they were going to cane us like India was doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's better than getting your hand chopped off. I right? guess. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, was that, uh, was that but, a dirty work reference? Uh, I believe it's, yeah, I guess maybe subconsciously I was referencing that in office space. That, oh, okay. So, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say yeah, dir- yeah. dirty work, underrated. Keep, keep oh, going. Oh, for sorry. sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can talk all day long about dirty work with Dan. So maybe that's next good. time we'll have that will, on or something. That'll be a, like underrated gyms and then basically just like Norm MacDonald, like back <laughs> Norm MacDonald. Yeah. Canadian hero. Nah, <laughs> he's, he's the man. Uh, Yep. But anyways, it's, uh, it's interesting cause you, you go out and it's kind of like, okay, like, cause I live on the cusp of Dallas County, but I'm in a different County. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, if I go just uh, across the way now I'm in Collin County. So it's kind of like, well, what are they doing? So I have to research things before I leave the house. Right. That way I know that I'm in compliance with wherever I'm going. So it's it's real interesting. Like if I were to go to Micro Center to pick up something, oh yeah. I'd probably have to wear a mask now. Yeah, you so probably would. like things to think about, you know, because everywhere I go, I see police SUVs just camped out in parking lots. And it's like 
it's a little unnerving, you know, cause you're like, you, it, it makes you kind of second guess like, okay, am I up to date on what the latest compliances are and, and following the, the right policies that are in effect or am I not? And thankfully my County's not exactly where Dallas is, but you know, just it, it's weird that you have to kind of pause and think about it before you even leave your house now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I that's, and that, that's very much like a law abiding citizens perspective also. You know, I mean, like there are plenty of people out there that are not concerned with that kind of thing. So um, you, I think that's a that's a very big distinction is that you are law abiding and that you are also concerned with consequences of your actions. So that that makes you kind of a step ahead when when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, yeah, obviously, we'd encourage everybody to to have that mindset and, and to look at that kind of thing and and kind of uh, do your best to to kind of isolate and, you know, only go out when you have to, that kind of deal. But just be smart about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all it is. And, and it's interesting, too, because there is a misconception. I think people don't understand the science behind what the wearing a mask does. Yeah. And it's not to... It's not to prevent you from catching it because you can still catch it wearing a mask unless you have that N95 uh, filter, right? Which is you know pretty hard to find now or N100s for that matter, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not a preventative measure in terms of you getting sick. It's a preventative measure of if you're the sick one and say you sneeze, your droplets don't go into the atmosphere and then hang around, and people can easily breathe that in. That's right. all it is. It's it's preventative from you if you're sick. So from that standpoint, if, if everybody just wears it because some people don't know if they're sick, you know, then it is a, a prevention, but it's not, it's not like because you're wearing this mask, you're going to be good. And you know, you're, you're now Superman. Like it's, you know, you can still get it through the mask, but you wearing the mask, uh, prevents the droplets from going into the air. Right. So that's and really that, the science behind it. That's true. And there's a lot of misinformation there too. Like you'll see a sure. bunch of people that are just like, Oh yeah, this will, you know, prevent me from doing everything. So I'm just going to stand up on somebody, you know, like just be like within one inch of their face. And it's just like, stop, no, don't do that. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, it is, it is about protecting you from giving it to somebody else because so many people are asymptomatic with this thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting because it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, like I think statistically speaking that if you're actually going to look at it where it is so virulent that it is actually penetrated so many people's, you know, like immune systems and stuff like that. And yet they'll be asymptomatic. They will have, you know, contracted the virus and then it will have left their body and they will have never known it. But at the same time, there are X amount of people who are passing away from the virus. Right. So that means two things. That means that the amount of people that are dying from the virus, uh, is less of a percentage, you know, because of the amount of people who have contracted it, but also means that so many people have contracted it because it's freaking everywhere. So, uh, you'll, I mean, that's, that's the thing is that you just, ha you don't know if you'll have it or not a lot of the time. And obviously the most serious cases are the ones that are getting hospitalized. So that's what's sure. making most of the news. So, uh, you know, being around, uh, people with compromised immune systems and stuff like that, uh, it's very important that you keep your distance and that you try to cover your face and that kind of thing, just because you, you don't know if you have it truly, if you're asymptomatic. So just be mindful of that. 
you know, don't, don't go running around hugging grandma. Um, maybe give it a little bit, see, see how things go. And, uh, sooner or later we'll all be probably tested for antibodies at this point. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and two, don't be Donald Sutherland from a 1970s classic film, uh, invasion of the body snatchers either, where you're pointing and screaming because somebody just touched their face. Like, come on, like yeah. get over yourself. Also great reference. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> speaking of, speaking of old shocking actors, ending. Yes, yeah. always. But, uh, the speaking of older actors, uh, we'll start out with the sad news first that, uh, Brian Dennehy has passed away at 81 years old. Um, for those of you who don't remember who Brian Dennehy is, uh, it'd be hard not to, honestly, he's been in so much, but the, uh, the one thing that you're going to rem- remember him or the couple things you're going to remember him for most likely than not is Tommy boy, right? A lot of people yep. our age, Remember seeing him in Tommy Boy is Chris Farley. I think it's Chris Farley's dad. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Callahan. And then uh, the other one that people will remember him from is First Blood, right? The very first Rambo movie. So yeah, he was the uh, sheriff. In he was town, a sheriff. Right? Yeah, and so a lot of people don't remember. They've only seen Rambo on TV, kind of thing, mm-hmm. or like the recent stuff. So they all remember Rambo as like the hero. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's awesome. But a lot of people don't remember that first blood, he was the antagonist. I mean, he, he, now granted he was a tortured, you know, person and and like it, it made it like a very interesting dynamic where like you wanted him to get help and everything. Mm -hmm. But first blood was a, like for an action movie was a lot more deep and layered, like as a character than people, remember Rambo yeah. typically being. And so Brian Dennehy as the sheriff was, was actually the protagonist of the film. He was trying to, to hunt down Rambo while he was running around, you know, blowing up gas stations with M sixties and shit and, uh, and trying to stop him from basically like terrorizing this town because he was, you know, reliving the battle days. And, uh, I think that's, that's a really important thing that like, if you go back, you're almost, it's almost like, how did we get, here you know with like uh, especially like rambo two and three you yeah. know how did we get here from the 80s man first blood <laughs> yeah so, the cold war the reagan days yeah it was all just about like you know america you know yeah, it's all about exactly. like just flexing that muscle and and doing steroids and putting on your american bandana and flexing your pecs and being like yep nothing's better than america That's, so that yeah it was that testosterone time frame and so that i think that's what changed the narration but what's you brought up some good points because i think what's interesting about that is last blood or no first blood Mm -hmm. uh was i believe a book it was a novel before it became a movie i believe it is and the the storyline is very different in that yeah he he's you know it it just really kind of emphasizes or highlights the um pdsd from vietnam and everything he went through being a pow and and then um you know just going through so many traumatic events that he's, you know, kind of in a way terrorizing the town. And I don't think, I think I remember reading about the behind the scenes and that the original story, he's not supposed to have survived. Yeah. I, I think that's true. I, um, uh, it, it's really, it's really hard to quantify the stark difference between the first one and the rest of the movies. Like, uh, and I'm, we're yeah. not talking about, 
a, like a directorial difference or like a like a like changes in writing it's it's almost like uh they took they boiled down like they distilled the character of John Rambo all the way down to like his uh least complex parts and then basically shoehorned him into like what effectively ended up being like a canon film script i mean like and and don't get me wrong as someone who loves like 80s schlock like that i will watch all rambos all the time and and that's awesome um but i also know that where it came from is vastly different than where it ended so yeah i would definitely recommend that people uh what what a movie what an action movie there's a lot uh that like current action movies even take from first blood but uh it's not it's not the the stuff that's the most meaningful from that movie it's it's a lot of the tropes that they've stolen from it like screaming while you're firing an m60 and that kind of thing yeah so but it's it's it really i think it is really a good movie for the era well, and Brian Dennehy's character, the sheriff, you know, you kind of see his psyche in the beginning of it. And yeah, they could have painted him in a different light, but you see it from the very get go. And it 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 basically gets implanted into your mind of who he is. Right. And how he takes Rambo in. Rambo's just a drifter walking into town on a bridge and he stops and he's just like, you're not going anywhere takes him into the station just because of he's a drifter and was like you know not in my town right in basically treating him like less than a human mm-hmm. and so i remember they spray rambo with the water hose you know very old school right and it's bringing back like you know pdsd stuff and eventually he escapes and i remember he ends up like on a small little motorcycle or dirt bike and drives off and so denny he's like making it his mission in life to hunt him down and and so if anything, they're poking the bear afterwards and it, it brings out this vicious side of Rambo where he's a special forces. Uh, I think it was a green beret, right? Uh, I, think, I think that's soldier. Right. And so all these things come back and so they try to hunt him in the woods and that right there, that whole exposition is like amazing how yeah. all that turns out. And then of course, when he, he brings that truck, which if you haven't seen this movie, I mean, it came out what early eighties, Yeah, way uh, early 80s. all listeners, you need to check it out. But yeah, where they end up in that town and everything's like on lockdown, no one's around. And he's in that, uh, I think he was in the police station and, uh, just that showdown that he has with the sheriff and he stocks up at that, uh, ammunition store was classic, but you really get to see that like the sheriff is a piece of work because he just wants to kill Rambo at a certain point. It's like, okay, you're now getting outside of what the law means. And, but to much to Dennehy's credit, you know, that was probably the first movie I saw when I was really young, um, you know, watching it with my dad that I was like blown away by Dennehy's acting and just how convincing he was as that menacing sheriff to even, you know, his role in Tommy Boy as the the dad and, you know, how, you know, fun and over the top he was. And then suddenly he's dead and he has that very sad, you know, poignant, you know, scene at the very end where Tommy Boy's on his raft and the wind blows and he's like, thanks, dad, you know, yep. and, which is kind of sad to think that both of those guys are passed away, but you know, that was a really good pairing, but you know, I see the list that you have on here. I totally forgot he was in assault on precinct 13, um, cocoon. I totally forgot about FX. Wow. Yep. F- FX. Uh, what a, like what a strange concept 
for a movie. And it, it, yeah. it had a sequel to his FX. Um, like, uh, yeah, F, it was FX two, but like the I'm, creatively. Yeah. Creatively. Wow. Bl- mind blown. It, FX is, uh, it's, I'm talking about it's literally the letter F and X. And for people who have never seen this movie, right? Because it's not to be confused with the channel. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's basically uh, like referencing special effects. Right. Yep. And so uh, what a, what an interesting, uh, strange bit of like cinematic history that is right. Because it does, it's not, it's not crammed full of, like really well-known actors yeah. and actresses. It's really not. Uh, Brian Dennehy may actually be the most notable person in that entire movie. And uh, and I don't think he had a really like huge role in it at all. I mean, I, I think that he, he was obviously important, but he, like it's what is what a strange concept. The idea that you're you're going to like fight back, you know, as a special effects guy in movies, you know, I mean, yeah. but it's a, uh, it's a creative take on kind of the thriller genre and, and they, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. They, they could totally remake that. I think nowadays. Oh, absolutely. And, and they'd have to try hard to, uh, because, because the whole thing is that he's like the master of practical effects. Right. Right. And so, so much now is, is computer generated and things like that. So they would really have to, um, if they were to remake it, I think they would have to very much ground it in something, you know, technology related. Yeah. yeah. But the, the idea of that was a really cool, uh, one. I think they even made a TV show, uh, from that, but I, I can't, I can't remember. Um, that would have been like certainly in the nineties, but yeah, uh, there was FX was on there. FX two, obviously, um, one of the the current things that he's been in was actually blacklist and i i am not uh someone who's watched a lot of blacklist uh i love the cast the cast is amazing but i've just never seen a lot from that show so i mean right. i think brian dennehy would have added to that to that show i mean given the caliber of people who are already involved in that and uh sure. And then obviously, uh, two weird ones, uh, and I'm saying a lot from this list is semi tough. Which, if you guys, I mean, if you've ever seen that, that's got like uh, Chris Christopherson, I think, and like a bunch of like really uh, up and comer actors, kind of before they really hit their stride, in in like a football movie that was kind of it was a really weird concept uh don't go out of your way to watch it but if it's on tv you know it's great to have on in the background um it's just it's a fun it's a fun kind of like you know rinky dink sports movie that's kind of in obscurity um and then a romeo and juliet which by the way i'm not talking about like a good romeo and juliet i'm talking about like the leo and uh uh what's your name um Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I had I had it like in my brain and then I totally lost it. Uh, Homeland. Yeah. Uh, d- in her name, like Claire or something. Claire Danes. Claire Danes. There we go. Yep. Thank you. So, yeah, that <laughs> what a weird ass movie that was. Yeah. Uh, they make fun. I had of to that. watch it in high school. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, because we watched like the original 
because uh, it was all about going over Shakespeare and in, in English class. And then we watched like the original and then we watched that. And I was like, wow, this is uh, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell is happening? And I, I think it's like, what a weird cast, too. It was, I think Ben Affleck was in that is like Mercutio or something. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, oh, my God. And then like uh, he Brian, was it Brian Denny that like pulls the like long sword, quote unquote, like handgun from the limo or something? Oh, yeah, I think so. It's, it's been a long time since I've seen that weird placement of everything in that movie, like such a strange concept. But uh, it didn't take any of the subtlety from a lot of Shakespeare's remakes, you know, in film and stuff like that. It was basically yeah. like, we're just going to rip this entire script and and put it on to whatever the hell we want. And it was like some kind of weird, you know, surreal dystopian future kind of thing, um, mm-hmm. like in the not too distant future of the 1990s or some shit. But it was yeah. it was very strange. Anyway, uh, Brian Dennehy, 81 years old. Uh, big fan and uh, yeah, huge fan of all those movies we just listed. Honestly, uh, go go check them out. And uh, if you don't go out of your way to see them, please, uh, you know, if they're on TV or something, give them a watch. Um, especially, you know, interesting ones like FX and and La- or First Blood. You know, mm-hmm. uh, actually, go out of your way to see First Blood. That's a that's a badass movie. Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, what's a uh, What's something else here? I'm, I'm going to let you break this news because I think that's cool as shit. Yeah. It's one so, of our favorite directors. So the the next uh, Marvel movie or one of them slotted to, to come up is uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So there's been a little bit of a sort of a, you know, development hell in terms of who's going to be directing this film. And it's been announced that Sam Raimi himself is going to be directing Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. I think that is an excellent choice. Um, big fan of Sam Raimi, even if maybe some of the Spider-Man films, I was kind of, you know, it was a, he took it a a bit too extreme on, on certain things I didn't like, but, uh, but overall I, I love Sam Raimi. So I think this will be a, a great choice. Uh, the only thing I have to say about this is that hopefully this sticks and it's not going to be where eventually we see a article or, or a news report within the next few months saying that he has now left the project because of creative, uh, differences. creative differences. Yeah, because there might be some, uh, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen from Disney and Marvel at that point, which could could happen. You know, like when you have a very established director like that, you have more creative differences compared to, say, like you know, an up and coming director. Uh, so that's kind of my take on it. Hopefully he stays and there isn't going to be that issue, but we'll see. Uh, what do you think about it? I've never been, uh, this, ex- I haven't been this excited about a Marvel movie, uh, since probably the first Avengers. And before that, when I was the most excited about a Marvel movie was the first Iron Man film. Um, because I've been, watching Iron Man, you know, like die in development for five years. Um, yeah, yeah. And so when that finally got traction and it got the people attached to it that it did, I was like, holy shit, this is the movie I've always wanted. Uh, and, it, and it had massive payoff. It was awesome. And uh, I felt the same way about the first Avengers. And and this the reason I'm so excited about this is uh, is obvious, you know, because first of all, Raimi's attached 
right? Which that's that makes me actually interested in like what is about to happen because before I was kind of like, oh yeah, it's it's a horror movie set in the Marvel universe. I'm just kind of like, what the hell is that even going to look like? And and before this announcement, I really didn't know what it was going to look like. And, and now I think I have a really good picture of what it can be uh, because of who's attached to it. My question is, who is Ted Raimi going to play? Because you know <laughs> he's going to be in it. So I, I'm I'm very curious if he's just going to be like some kind of random, like magical monk in the background, or if he's going to have like a speaking part. But for those of you who don't know, uh, if you've ever seen a Sam Raimi production, uh, Ted, which I, I think he's his brother, right? Um, yeah. Ted Raimi is in pretty much every Sam Raimi production he makes. Uh, maybe it's like randomly in the background, you know, uh, kind of like Bruce Campbell, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not as, not as prevalent, but, uh, they, they all work together, you know, and they all, they all, you know, have fun. And I think it was like Xena warrior princess or something where Ted was like featured all the time as kind of like the lovable schmuck. And, uh, I think his name was Joxer or something. I don't what if, why the hell do I remember this stuff? And, uh, it, but yeah, anyway, the, the thing is he always has parts in, in any of the stuff that he creates. And so it's always fun to just see him randomly pop up out of nowhere. Uh, I am, and you are, a huge Sam Raimi fan, obviously from, from big things like evil dead and army of darkness, but then everything he, he does is is Sam Raimi. We've had that Mm -hmm. discussion before, so I'm not going to bore people with it here, but it's very much, uh, it's such its own style that I know finally what to expect directorially out of this film. Uh, if yeah, if yeah. he's allowed to do what he wants to do and, and God, I hope he is because there is nothing I would like more than a, to see rapid close up shots of Benedict Cumberbatch's face. And the other thing that I like to see is somehow the evil dead universe, yeah, the evil dead universe somehow working its way in the marble. That's not going to happen, but it would be funny if, you were trying to live through all these different like hellish episodes. And all of a sudden it was just like a glimpse of Bruce Campbell's face. And you were like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's canon now. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fine with me. Yeah. Sam Raimi definitely has a, even though he, he gets horror and he gets like the really crazy bizarre horror, but he also, it makes it a lot of fun. So I think because he brings that fun element to it, I think that's why they knew that Spider-Man was going to work. Um, and maybe certain elements of it didn't work for me, but, um, but overall I thought it was really well done. And so getting into this, I think, you know, this is definitely more his, um, his forte, you know, like this is, this is definitely more like closer to what his wheelhouse is compared to Spider-Man. Spider-Man was a little bit, you know, more of a distant Island and and more of a reach for him. Um, but he made it work, but with this, yeah, he can definitely kind of go back to basics and and do what he does best, and it all work out because of who Doctor Strange is. Agreed. Um, the only other, the only other person I can think of, or, or character, I guess you could say, that's close to this, but more in the DC realm, that maybe Sam Raimi could do 
would be Constantine. Um, yeah, I you get know, that. Con- the comics of Constantine are really, really awesome and very deep and dark. And I actually didn't mind the movie with Keanu Reeves. Um, and they thought of, they, they've talked about like making another one of those. I don't know if he would be part of it or if they would just totally redo it. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to either one as long as they do it right. And, you know, as long as it's not anything like uh, the Mad Max film that they did, which was very <laughs> disappointing. Uh, me being such a big fan of the Mad Max games, but you know, it, that's always kind of the interesting thing of taking what is in a comic book and then trying to make it into a film and make it appease both just casual viewers and the diehard comic readers and, you know, not riff anybody. And, and that's one thing that Marvel and well, Disney Marvel has, has done so well on, um, I the only move that they made that I really just did not like is whenever they got rid of the TV shows, you know, like the Punisher and, right. uh, Daredevil, um, Jessica, Jessica Jones. Jones. Yeah. I, I love, yeah. I liked all of them. Luke Cage was probably my, it, he had his moments, but there were, there were some parts where he just kind of dragged. So it was kind of my least favorite of the four, uh, you know, and then there's another one too, uh, uh, Iron Fist, Iron Fist. Yeah which that was definitely my least favorite. But yep. yeah, I liked Punisher and, and Daredevil a lot. Uh, the directing and, and the camera work on Daredevil was just so amazing. Awesome. Um, First yeah, season I just, of Jessica Jones was really good. Second season was laughably bad. Yeah. I, so I don't know what they're going to do with those shows. I hope they bring them back in some capacity. I, you know, I think we had talked about it a long time ago when they announced that they were canceling them off of Netflix because, you know, the mouse wanted to get his own disney plus streaming service so now that we have that i'm kind of curious if they're going to at least bring back one or or several of those characters in their shows because you know i I felt like that there was a big following behind them um, especially punisher and daredevil you know well i think uh one of the most interesting things i've heard about that recently was that because the the scheduling like the phase scheduling of the marvel movies is kind of you know shat the bed because of all the coronavirus stuff Oh that, yeah. Um it's actually pushing stuff out far enough to where the twilight clause of the Netflix stuff being reverted back to Disney is lining up now with a lot mm. of newer properties that are coming out and you know sequels that are coming out and stuff like that. So the idea that they can work those character I- characters in now, you know, to, to like more films that are coming out sooner um than ones that were going to be like phase 25 or whatever uh is a lot more realistic and i think it's really fun like i I would love to see those you know at least some of those characters show up again obviously uh to have even a cameo of like matt murdoch trying to represent someone you know in in oh yeah that'd be universe that's great i mean like i think it's it's a fun fan service at the very least um but yeah I, i i think uh you know, the first season of Daredevil had some pacing issues, but the the acting from all of those characters is so strong that uh, it, it just it just keeps getting better. Like every season of that show just kept getting better. So I'm uh, I'm really interested to see how that gets worked in, because I know it will in some in some way, you know, even if they don't resurrect it on Disney Plus, because it's a lot more family friendly. So, yeah, for sure. 
So what's going on with uh, this One World Together at Home concert that's actually happening this evening? So it will uh, this will have already happened by the time this airs, probably, right? Uh, or around this time that, yeah, the episode, or this episode will be probably up like right before it starts live. So yeah, this evening, uh, seven central to nine central, uh, I believe that's when the concert's going to start. Uh, but throughout the day they're, they're having multiple artists go on the global citizen YouTube channel. Uh, I kind of tuned in for the first hour of it, or at least like for a few minutes and saw Adam Lambert, uh, doing a cover of mad world. And it sounded really amazing. So there's a lot of different, you know, other musicians going on throughout the day, uh, through different hours. They're just keeping it going. And then the main, um, you know, the main course of it is going to be from 7 PM to 9 PM central tonight, which, you know, uh, the two Jimmy's and, and, uh, Stephen Colbert, are going to be hosting it. Uh, but it was just announced as of, I think yesterday or today that the Rolling Stones are joining in right on that lineup this evening. So that'll be pretty cool. I'll, I'll definitely have it tuned in and probably have it on in the background a little bit, but, um, but definitely I'll, I'll be paying attention to certain artists. I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to perform. That's always kind of the interesting part of these benefits is that either sometimes an artist will perform a, very rare song that they have or, or do a different rendition on a song or, or do a cover that you wouldn't even imagine them doing. And it ends up being amazing. So, you know, but it's a definitely for a good cause. And I think they've already raised like so much money compared to any of the other, uh, benefits that have come up. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, definitely tune into that. And then, uh, I think it was last night or the night before. Yeah. Thursday night, um, on cameo, which also had a YouTube live stream, uh, four of the main actors from entourage, um, had sort of a reunion panel and they all talked to each other on zoom, which was streamed live. And so it was, uh, uh, basically Jeremy Piven and, uh, constant Zimmer and, uh, uh, Perry Reeves who played, uh, Ari's wife. And then, uh, I can't remember the other actress's name, but she was Sloan, who yeah. was, uh, you know, the, the love interest for, uh, you know, um, can't remember his name either, but it's been so yeah, long. It's since been I a long time. Show. So that's the entourage. Yeah. Yeah. I was a huge fan of entourage, uh, watching all the seasons. And so watching them talk, you know, it's like they hadn't talked to each other in a while. And all of a sudden Jeremy Piven got into character of Ari and him and Constance were yelling back and forth. Cause she was, you know, Dana, and that was pretty funny to watch. So it's out there on YouTube if you want to check it out. But um, watching that got me really like wanting to watch that show again. So I uh, the other night while I was working and stuff, I kind of had it on the background. And um, I think it, it streamed through the majority of season one, which all the seasons of Entourage are on Amazon Prime now. So that's cool to watch in 1080p compared to the whatever crappy resolution I was watching you know, way back in the day in the mid, the late two thousands, you know, it was probably like less than seven twenty P whatever I could download at the time. Or, exactly. You know? Um, so that was pretty cool to see, but, uh, but yeah, what do you think about these benefits and, you know, this concert that's happening? Are you going to tune into it? Well, uh, you know, one artist that I wanted to see that will not be singing tonight is audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free 
and start listening. It's that easy. How unfortunate is that, that Audible won't be singing tonight? <laughs> what would Audible even sound like? Uh, it would probably sound like the spoken word if I had to guess. So um, probably a good thing that, you know, Audible isn't performing. Uh, that that would probably, <laughs> not just kidding. It's uh, Audible, great sponsor. Looking forward to the concert tonight. Um, but I'm not the biggest live music fanboy. So I'm going to have to, if we're, if I'm going to catch any of it, I'm going to have to set my own live music prejudices aside. Right. And kind of enjoy it for, for what it is, which is, I've heard a lot of people comparing it to like this generation's live aid, you know, and that kind of thing. That's, that's a fair comparison. I don't think that's, I don't think that's out of left field. You know, it's just a different kind of experience now because a lot, I mean, anybody who's gone back and watched any portion of live aid, um, whether it's like Freddie Mercury, like jumping around like a crazy man on stage or (laughs) whatever, um, you know, they they know that that whole area was packed full of people. So you Mm -hmm. really had, just watching that kind of uh, that entire broadcast is, is electric, you know, cause you have yeah. so many people around you to really give you that feeling of this is a live show. Uh, the energy is there. Everybody's there to enjoy themselves. And, uh, and this is a way, it just seems like such a different kind of thing where like you're watching it, but I wonder about, like your connection to the live music and that kind of thing. Cause usually you've got, it's, it's almost like a laugh track in a way, you right. know? Uh, but like, you know, with the fans being there and cheering, it's kind of like you, you feel like you're more invested compared to just watching an artist in the room, just singing by themselves. <laughs> I should, I should say uh, it's more like watching something with a live audience recording because yeah. uh, laugh tracks can rot in hell, but True. The, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the live audience recording and stuff like that, it's a lot more organic. And if you've got a lot of people there, you know, you, you're feeling, oh, yeah, like this is maybe it gives you that you feed off that energy, you know, the people cheering and everything and like having a lot of fun. And that's it's less awkward for sure. It's less awkward. And uh, I, I don't know how it's going to go, but I also wonder, like, you know, is Lady Gaga going to break in like from her living room? like after every act and be like, wow, that was really great. Thanks. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. like what does she, what does she it, get? It does kind of provide some cringeworthy moments, you know? Um, but you know, the, the one thing that you can kind of like, uh, juxtapose that to, or, uh, you know, look at is the concert they had after, you know, like post nine 11. Right. And I remember, but they did it at a venue or a series of venues, but there weren't audience there. So it was right. like, they just performed. And as soon as they were done performing, it was just quiet. Mm-hmm. And, but to me, that was very, uh, you know, that was appropriate for that time because it was, it was so eerie that, you know, so many people died instantly in that tragedy. And then of course, like the amount of people that died afterwards from the effects of breathing in everything, exactly. um, you know, like it, it was a lot more of a harrowing experience. And this, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to really compare things, but you know, this is just more of a raising awareness to a cause. And, um, so I think there is going to be a lot more like 
narration, kind of like what we've seen already on these benefit concerts and stuff. But, but there, you're right. There is that awkwardness moment where, you know, if an artist has like several songs that they're performing, you know, I've even seen Dave do this, like he'll perform and it'd be like, okay, I don't know what, what I'm talking about. And now I'm getting nervous because I'm performing in front of a computer. That's never happened before, you know? So it's, there's a lot of stuff. I think like the old school, uh, artists are, are definitely going to, you know, it's going to be different for them versus the new school ones where they're used to, you know, maybe that's how they got known was mm-hmm. through a computer, you know? So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, the people that have the setup already in their place to collaborate, you know, remotely and that kind of thing, that's nothing new, you know, with your, like your, uh, uh, your digital audio set up and everything and you're actually able to collaborate which is kind of like what we were we're doing right now and as yeah. a multi-track recording and everything so that that is capable that's been around for a long time but live you know actually doing a live broadcast uh especially if you're doing it with multiple people in multiple places if that's really how they'd be doing it mm-hmm. um multi-channel recording from that end uh, is a little bit trickier uh, or a lot of it trickier really. So it'd be interesting. I mean, a lot of us, a lot of what we do, a lot of what you do, sorry, is, is post-processing with, uh, you know, masking audio tracks onto each other and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cleaning up stuff, cleaning up stuff, multi-channel stuff, normalizing stuff. And that's really cool. Um, but they don't really have that opportunity, right? It's it's all live. Well, they so. they do because it it's the the equipment that they have and everything. There's there's a lot more like there's uh, richer encoding and uh, like encoders and decoders you can get like equipment things like that. So I'm kind of curious how they have that infrastructure set up. And I imagine that they probably have a pretty nice infrastructure set up for this compared to the other benefits I've seen. Um, the other ones I've seen like Cisco telepresence or whatever zoom has been some of them, but you know, doing it live, like you can tell, like there's the, the quality is not perfect and there are some audio and technical difficulties that happen where cameras get lost, the audio stops, somebody loses connection. So I'm very curious how they're doing that from that standpoint. Um, you know, post nine 11, everything was rich because everybody was still able to, uh, you know, unite and, you know, everybody was still able to get there with all of their heavy production equipment, like what Mm -hmm. you would see, like live from Woodstock over pay-per-view or, you know, maybe not going back that far, but you know, the, the quality of all that stuff was there because of that with this, you're a little bit more limited and yeah, even though the quality over, you know, VOIP and, you know, whether you want to call it FaceTime or Zoom or Google Duo or whatever, my you face. know, it's all, yeah, my face, uh, it, it's all really great quality compared to say like five, 10 years ago. And it's awesome, but it's not quite perfect yet. And so that's where I'm kind of like interested to see how well the quality and all that's going to be happening live tonight, or maybe they have it on some sort of delay. So mm-hmm. that way, that, for from a QA perspective, so that'll be real interesting. Not to go too far into nerd talk. There, I know, but, I know. That's yeah. that's very much in our realm. But the uh, oh man, God, I, I almost hope they don't have it in a time delay um, because I know a lot of these people could just like shoot off at any moment and just say a bunch of crap that they can't edit out in time. Um, I, I obviously, I, I'm not the guy that watches like races for the car wrecks and stuff like that. But sometimes it is just kind of funny to see people just going nuts. 
So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I'm sure it's yep. on a huge time delay, though. I mean, there's no way it's not. <laughs> there's got to be because you never know if someone's nope. going to go off the rails and start saying something. Yep, that is uh, 100% correct. Probably a good thing they don't have Kanye in there. That's, uh, yeah, that's the first place my mind went. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so this next thing that we've got on here is something that's a follow-up from last time. I'm actually really excited about it. I know we, I, I don't know if we put... Um, you know, I don't know what kind of thought we've put into this one compared to last time. I had a list of stuff that uh, was left over from our previous thing because I really wanted to do this segment. And that was naming some of the actors and actresses that we initially loved that you eventually hated. And uh, and of course, the follow up question that we had last time was what films or shows did they do that changed our mind? So mm-hmm. in that vein, um would you like to go first? I'm kind of curious as to what are these actors and actresses that you initially loved and then you hated. Yeah. So I thought this was definitely relevant to what we talked about last time and, you know, kind of got me thinking about, you know, kind of like I, I did a, a mention of Tom Cruise where it's like an actor that you kind of wish you hated, but you just can't because of just how he's so damn he good. Yeah. But this kind of definitely is a juxtaposition from last time where it's about, okay, who are these people that you loved out of the gate? And then over time, they just annoy the hell out of you or you just you just cannot stand them. Um, Exactly. I I think hate's a little bit of a strong word, but but there are some that, you know, can really, really bother you. Now, get on the hate boat. Let's go. The hate boat. Is that so that is that the the follow up TV series to the love boat? It is. And uh, it's 100 percent a poster in the back of uh, a shot in uh, Running Man. So like like, hate boat and like climbing for dollars and like all kinds of crazy shit because Running Man is one of the greatest movies of all time. Please continue. Yeah. So my list, uh, I'll start off with uh, Anne Hathaway. Oh, wow. That's a good take. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So. Anne Hathaway, you know, I think for a lot of our female listeners, they're going to say, you know, Princess Diaries, uh, Devil Wears Prada, you know, uh, Brokeback Mountain, if you saw that, Becoming Jane. Like, these are probably what our female listeners uh, remember her from out of the gate. Um, there's some other things she was into, but not well as well known. For me, you know, I always heard about her roles in that, but... Um, I did not see those films back in the day. Uh, I think the first film I saw from her, I happened to be in Blockbuster back in way back in 2008, uh, back into 08 in the yeah. 2000s. Uh, oh, I found my Blockbuster card, by the way. I oh, just, yeah. I just want to leave you that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I still have mine somewhere. So it's important. The, the movie I saw that I was like, okay, I, I saw a, a, she's like on the cover of it and you see two people getting married in the background. I read the back of it. I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. And I think at the time I was taking like some sort of class in college about film study or something. So I, I rented it and it's called Rachel getting married. And I thought it was an excellent movie. It's about this, uh, this young woman who's been in and out of rehab and returns home um, for the weekend for her sister's wedding. And, and everything seems like she's doing better and it's, and people, you know, like being back with her family, everything's good. And then she starts going off the rails a bit. And I just thought her acting in it was just so organic and blew me away. And I was like, wow, she's 
an actor's actor. Like this is, I'm definitely invested and interested to see like what else she does. Little and did then, you know course, she was Vince Vaughning it because that's actually her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know funny. what she's like in real life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, flash forward to like Dark Knight Rises, she ends up being Catwoman. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really see any movies, but well, no, I did see like Love and Other Drugs, uh, but and, you know, maybe a couple others. But getting into that, I was kind of like, OK, yeah, I could see where she could play that sort of uh, duality of being like, you know, oh, poor helpless me. And then all of a sudden, like, get into the Selena Kyle mode. So I could see that. And, and it, I thought it worked. I thought she did really well. But. You know, there were still some cheesy moments where dialogue wise, it could have been better. But little did I know, I thought it was just the script, but it was it was her. And mm-hmm. so it was coming from some of her Anne Hathaway isms. And so I really liked her as an actress in that. And then, you know, the Les Miserables thing came out and it was a bit much. Yep. And then I saw her everything about that movie was a bit much. Yeah, Interstellar, she was good, but it was still a bit way over the top. And um, The Intern, uh, yeah, you know, so you know, Colossal, like there's uh, Ocean's Eight, she annoyed me in that. And then, unfortunately, Serenity had to be made. Uh, that was with uh, Matthew McConaughey. And I don't know, it's something about maybe just because I've seen interviews that she's done or um, other things that come out about her, but she just. She's very much like if the attention isn't on her, then, you know, you're in the wrong or something like that. Like if you're in the middle of making a movie and you're on set and it's almost like the more I've gotten to know about her, she's kind of a diva. But there's she's just annoyed me in in films. Um, Just I don't know what it is. It's just certain things have turned into that. So now she's she's definitely made that list where. I, I really enjoyed her uh the start of her career and now it's just becoming annoying and I don't know I don't know what's what's led into that, but it's probably just been some of her roles that she's done and and the acting hasn't been like I originally first saw it, you know. Right. I, I get that. I uh, I think that and the Dark Knight Returns thing, what a that is kind of a good inflection point, I think. That was probably the first time that you would see her and really be polarized on her take. Yeah. Well, I and mean, have action involved too. So. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, uh, you know, we're not necessarily talking about like the, the Lex Luthor and Batman versus Superman who should be, you know, universally maligned. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was subtle enough in, in the way that Anne Hathaway uh, portrayed Selena Kyle that you would either, uh, you would either like kind of like her or kind of hate her. Right. Yeah. I mean, but you wouldn't, yeah it wouldn't be like, Oh, this, this is the worst or this is the best. Um, moving, moving forward from that, I can definitely see why you'd be like, this is just, she's just not my actress. You know, it's mm-hmm. just not, she's not there for, for my kind of acting. Um, and, and obviously when you throw on any kind of, uh, like issues on set and that kind of thing, if you care about that kind of crap, like we do, um, that, that doesn't really paint you in a positive light moving forward. Um, you certainly have to have, uh, a significant amount of acting chops, uh, to overcome that kind of bad press. Uh, and there are some people that do, obviously we've discussed that already, but, mm-hmm. um, do you want to go back and forth or do you want to knock out your list? Uh, I'll knock out my list. So do the it. next one is, uh, Cameron Diaz. Oh yeah. That's a, that's another good one. 
So, you know, uh, I think the first film I saw her in, I think it's her first film was the mask. And, you know, I think everybody liked her from that point on. Um, but you know, then going into like very bad things, uh, something about Mary, of course, that's like her pinnacle class with Ben Stiller. Yeah. Um, you know, being John Malkovich, I mean, you get to see like a lot of different shades of her and, and I was like, okay, she's really, really good. And that's a wild movie. (laughs) Yeah. And then for whatever reason, they thought it'd be a good idea to do Charlie's angels, you know? Um, so there's been, that was kind of a dip for me. And then Vanilla Sky, I thought she did really well in. And then from that point on, like she just started doing these films. You know, I think Gangs of New York was probably her last like really, really good film. Um, you know, uh, The Holiday wasn't too bad that she was in with uh, with Jack Black. Jack Black, yeah. Kate Winslet and mm-hmm. yeah. But that point forward, it was just like, she just started getting more and more annoying in her roles and just, you know, I think, and then sex tape and all these other ones, I was just kind of, I've just really have grown to become annoyed with her, but I think she's done from acting for a while. She hasn't been anything in a long time lately and she doesn't really need to be. I mean, she's probably pretty set at this point. So, but that's another one where I liked initially, you know, her acting and who she was. And then it just kind of, her personality or something just really got under my skin. Yeah, I understand that. Um, and, and like whether she's done with acting or not, I mean, like she had some good moments, obviously. Um, I think even what was it? Gangs of New York, right? Yep. That, was, that was great. You know, I mean, yeah. like as, as a movie and, and as a performance, she did a good job. And, mm-hmm. and I think everybody expected more out of her after that movie. Um, but then yeah. again, when you hit your wagon to Scorsese, everybody expects more out of you forever. So uh, that, I mean, it, it, it is what it is at that point. Um, so there's a really easy way to disappoint also. I think, uh, yeah. do you remember the first Charlie's angels movie? Like the cast that was such a grab mm-hmm. bag. I was, I was thinking about that the other day, Uh mountain girlfriend brought it up. She was like, is that just, you know, do you want to just like leave that on in the background or whatever? It's like, yeah, sure. What the hell not? And, sure, uh, why not? Sam Rockwell was the bad guy. Oh yeah, that's I right. I forgot about that. And I'm like, I love Sam Rockwell. I'm a huge yeah, me Sam Rockwell fan. And uh in that like alone is just kind of like, what the hell's going on here? Um, Bill Murray was in the movie. Uh Tim Curry, uh the lovable Tim Curry was in that movie. And the one that I can't get over, Crispin Glover, of all yeah. the people that end up in a movie, that guy, that is an odd bird. Uh, Christian yeah. Glover, Crispin Glover is, um, but yeah, I would, I would certainly say that, uh, it's, it's like a mix of some of like the more influential and like interesting, like cult actors and comedy actors and actresses. But then you've also got like LL Cool J and like Matt LeBlanc and Tom Green, you know, and you're like, <laughs> what the what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> That's anyway, that time frame, man. It came I, out in two thousand. So I know it was. Uh, everybody's firing from the hip, man. Two thousands yeah. was a weird time. It, uh, it was. It was all about like throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks because they didn't know what audiences wanted. I think two thousand, uh, cinematically and music wise, is really mm-hmm. just like the 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 actual terminal point of what the nineties culture brought us, and oh, yeah. and two thousand one. Uh, with 9-11 and things like that brought a lot of focus to the artistic medium, 
you know, where people were like, they all wanted to make something that mattered at that point. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like things got like way more grounded or they didn't obviously, but, um, but for the most part, I like to believe they did, you know, even comedies were coming out with stuff that they were trying to anchor and, uh, and, and be like really well planted. So it was, yeah, two, 2000 was a really strange time to be running that game. It really was. And, and, uh, I was trying to think the movie that like really started turning the tide that got me to really be annoyed by Cameron Diaz, I think was that movie night and day with Tom Cruise. You remember that's, that? That's a really, yeah. I, I, oh, I remember seeing just, that and kind of being like scratching my head, you know, she annoyed you know, Tom, the hell out of me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's just screaming all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, yeah. even though I love 1989 Batman, that's the one part about Batman that annoys the hell out of me is Kim Basinger, Basinger yep. just screaming all the time. And I'm just like, oh that, that is and it's so over true. the top. It's yeah. over the top. I, but like, oh, God bless. I love every single one of those Batmans. The yep. the Michael Keaton Batmans. It's so right, much fun. Right. If you go back, it's like such it's Tim Burton working in like one of the strangest. Like it's have you ever seen a Tim Burton movie with a lot of color in it? Um, because <laughs> I, I hadn't up until that point. And even the colors were like a strange kind of matte, like Easter, you know, Easter egg color. Everything's mixed. It's almost kind of like a gray palette, you know? Yeah, it was really weird. So like they would go into like Kim Basinger's apartment or something and would look like somebody just got like the Easter M&Ms and just like painted the walls that color. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, what am I looking at right now? But I guess it it all kind of worked. Um, You know, I think like what Prince was on top of a float in the first one or the second one. So, well, Prince music was performing. Yeah. yeah. Prince, Prince did the soundtrack for 89 Batman. So, yeah. uh, it, go back and listen to that. It's That's like, so good. I love it. Yeah. It's so, it's <laughs> like, it's exactly what you would think it would be like. Um, uh, what, next time we're going to have to bring up like Dune. We're going to have to compare previous oh, yeah. Dune to new Dune as far as movies are concerned, but we're not going to do that right now. What's your last, uh, what's your last actor actress? Uh, so yeah, those are the two actresses. The actor that made this list for me is Seth Rogen. <laughs> that's, that's a good pick. Wow. You could get, you could get really overwhelmed with him fast, right? You, I mean, you like, can. Yeah. He's, I, he's, he's okay as a, as a producer and that kind of thing. He's done some really weird shit, but the, uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. He kind of, you know, he he got his spotlight uh, being in Freaks and Geeks, the 1999 TV series. And so then, many course, people did, too. Holy shit. Yeah, they did. And Donnie Darko was the first feature film he was in, um, r- played Ricky Danforth. So, you know, that's where I started taking notice, like, OK, you know, and then he played this cameraman like as a, a weird cameo type of, uh, you know, just a, a background actor. And, um, you know, the uh, anchorman, Ron Burgundy. Yeah, um, that's right he was in 40 year old virgin as Cal, you know, so having like a secondary role, I, I thought he was really great. And then having even the secondary role as a police officer in super bad with, uh, <laughs> Oh man, it, that, that was to me that, that was, those guys really made the film even funnier because they were like adults, but wanting to hang with these kids, but they want to be kids again. Yeah, you know? Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, right? Bill Hader. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, knocked up was like his first feature film. And I thought it was, I thought it was good. I remember it being funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Zach and Mary make a porno, uh, step brothers, pineapple express. I mean, I thought that was a really good, like bro fest between, uh, you know, him and, uh, James Franco, but 
you know, and then Kung Fu Panda. So he's like really coming into his own, but then around like observe and report and, uh, you know, a few other films that he's been in since then, uh, even like 50, 50 and, and all these others where he's good, but that laugh, man, like even in the interview, it was just like the laugh, like really starts to get on my nerves and I, and I like neighbors and neighbors too, but it's just, I can only watch it for so long without him, you know, just, and I can't even listen to an interview because he just does that laugh that just really, really annoys me. So yeah, for better or worse, he's ended up in that list. You know, I have nothing against the guy. It's just, I, I just can't, I'm not going to have a, a, a Seth Rogen uh, marathon of films. Uh, that's one fair. Day. That's definitely not, definitely not going to happen for me. <laughs> I think it's a good but, uh, honest take for sure. Yeah. No, I, uh, what, yeah. What do you think about that? No, I, I think I think Seth Rogen is a as a creative, you know, force. Um, even though I don't necessarily follow him creatively, you know, like along his journey that he's taken, um, it, he's certainly successful. And I think that he surrounds himself with very funny people, and I think that's great. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't necessarily think he's a bad guy or anything. I think that, uh, and I don't think you do either. I, I just get that feeling that he he is like at once trying to fit himself into different roles but then always tries too to, hard yeah he tries too hard yeah. he always gets slot, slotted back into his old faithful you know mm-hmm. stuff uh he always plays the um he always plays his roles like he is a backup actor right and and that goes for everything that he's done i think and that that's not that's not to say he can't pull the weight of a film, but I think that he always, he always acts through something like he's only, he's always going to have a bit part. You know, I think he actually, like when it comes to green Hornet and that kind of thing, um, like that movie was universally panned. Um, but I also think that like, there are some really brilliant moments in that, like everything that Chris, everything that exits Christoph Waltz's mouth is, is gold. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it's some of his like it's oddly some of his most notable quotes come from that movie and, and people don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but, but having Seth Rogen kind of be like the titular hero. Right. Um, I think that's awesome. But at the same time, the green Hornet kind of was a cool take on the like quote unquote hero, superhero, genre even back in the day right yeah it was it was a very strange uh move to kind of have like the it basically divided you know the aspects of batman into multiple characters you know the the ass kicking bruce lee that was kato you know and then the uh the like the guy that was the super sleuth you know, that was those trying to go around and like be the investigative journalist, you know, but somehow like have his own persona. Um, and the wrestling between those two, as far as like who was more important, you know, and the cool gadgets that they'd have and stuff like that. I mean, they, it was a cool idea that could have been really done well in a grounded way. Um, but holy crap, man, like, uh, where's a Terry Gillum movie where you've got Seth Rogen you know, at the, at the forefront, um, <laughs> a weird setup for just any, I'm mean, like, and there, Terry Gillum is bleeding all over that movie. I mean, like 
you can tell that the studio is trying to reel him back in. And they're like, dude, you hired Terry Gillum. Like, mm-hmm. you know what's about to happen? Because this whole movie is going to be an acid trip. And, uh, and, and like, there's certainly parts where it was, where it's like, it's like, you know, jumping over the hood of the car or whatever and kicking people. And it's just like, uh, taking that shot and then just like spreading it over. Like if you're clicking a mouse and it's dragging and you've got like, uh, like shit dragging all over your screen everywhere, right. kind of that yeah. weird effect, you know, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, so there, there are definitely bright spots to that movie, but, uh, I wouldn't say that, that Seth Rogen's character is one of them. So, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's my take basically on Seth Rogen in the aspect of Green Hornet. Thank you very much. But uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, my not that didn't enter the list, but is very um, relevant. I think that James Franco would definitely be a, a fourth one for me because I like his earlier roles and he definitely has gotten to annoy me quite a bit in the last few movies he's done. Even that one he did with Brian Cranston, yeah. I was just like, I just wanted to punch him in the face. And I know that he was like <laughs> trying to be that uh, character, but he's kind of that character a little bit in real life where he's just very full of himself. And the more I've heard about his art shows and what he does and how weird he is. And, you know, one of my friends used to live in LA and her friend was like, knew someone that dated him. And it was just like, you know, once you start to know like weird things about uh, someone like a celebrity and realize they're not that good of a dude or yeah. a person, uh, it, it definitely comes out in some of these roles or things that you hear about and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I could care less about that guy. So yeah, he would probably be like my, you know, didn't make the list, but was close to making the list. Yeah. And then I, I like, I, I'm kind of curious about like the duality of like, uh, James and David Franco, like how that, how that whole, like, oh from, yeah. Like family aspect works because I've heard that David Franco is actually a pretty decent dude. Yeah, but, uh, I've heard that too, and he's easy to work with. Yeah, and then like James is exactly what I've heard from you. Yeah, like so, I wonder if yep. they, I, they, anyway. It's I don't really give a shit about Hollywood gossip too much outside sure. of the movie making aspect and that. Just kind of judging thing. what's on screen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So very interesting. So what is uh, what's the list that you got? All right, so um, I will say that so much of mine is rooted in what my snapshot of like love of movie and TV was in the nineties and what like rapidly devolved from that. And so you'll definitely start to sense a theme here. Um, I'll burn through the first two fairly quickly, but uh, at least I think I will. Steven Seagal is my first one. Um, And and I think that's because during that time uh, when you talk about kind of like mindless action and that kind of thing, uh, he seemed like kind of an also ran for a lot of these movies that were out mm-hmm. there. But when it comes to movies like under siege, which I've, I've honestly heard people like rag on it and be like, that's just die hard on the boat and that kind of thing. I understand that. Like there's, there is a valid point to that, but I also think it's a lot more, um, but, but not because of Steven Seagal. I think it's a lot more because of Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones. Yep. Um, I think, uh, like Tommy Lee Jones, Stranix is still one of my favorite, like nineties villains of all time. And I think that that comes from how over the top he is. And, uh, it's, it's like a young Tommy Lee Jones too. So it's, it's almost like striking. Like if you go back and you see this movie with him and Gary Busey, Gary Busey plays himself like sure. straight up. I mean, like 
Gary Busey is an insane person and we love him for it. And, um, and he's, is really, it's, it's a joy to watch those guys on film together. The action movie thread that is through this entire movie is, uh, Steven Seagal's character, right? He, he's almost Mm -hmm. kind of like a, a, a metaphor during the movie. He's almost never like, he's very seldom showcased. And, uh, and it's it's kind of interesting because like you'll watch it and you'll be like I really love this movie but like only when it's over you'll be like you know what what really happened here <laughs> and I think that one of the best things that I've seen from uh, Steven Seagal was that knife fight scene at the end mm-hmm. of that movie like from a, a pure action standpoint I couldn't give a shit about ninety percent of the flips and stuff that he had done you know in, in any of those movies um, yeah because he did like uh, Hard to Kill Out for Justice um, that kind of stuff. Right. And he did like, he did, did a hand to hand stuff and everything. And he was supposed to be like this, this like pensive, you know, you know, martial arts master kind of thing that you're supposed to get. And then, uh, I didn't, I, but none of that really like affected me too much. I, I saw like kind of the writing on the wall that he was kind of a one note guy, mm-hmm. but that knife fight scene, I was like, holy shit, this guy's cool. You know, and then yeah, uh, yeah. what I expected after that was was kind of like a real uh, like flash in the pan, but really cool career. And you know what happened? He did executive decision. And it's in, in <laughs> yep. exactly like if you know anything about executive decision, which, by the way, holy crap, go watch that movie. It is cool. And you'll notice that a lot of stuff like uh, between Passenger 57 and uh, executive decision, you will get pretty much about 30% of classic like action movie tropes that mm-hmm. they generated from those two movies, right? Every single like uh, caught on a, you know, stuck, stuck on a blank movie, you know, with action movie kind of stuff like speed, that kind of thing. So much was taken from those movies. And they're kind of one note, but... Um, you get a lot of great stuff, especially from Executive Decision, which is one of my favorite action movies of all time. Um, so one of the things that uh, was so funny about that movie was Steven Seagal's role in it. Because you go into that movie and you think to yourself, holy shit, he's like top billing. He's one of the first names to go across that screen. Uh, mm-hmm. when you're starting the movie, you're like, holy shit, this is a Steven Seagal movie. And the trailers yeah. made you think that too. And then you start watching it. You're like, cool. Like at the very beginning, I guess he's like a Navy SEAL or something. He's taking down a bunch of bad guys and you're like, shit. Yeah, this is a Steven Seagal movie. This is the movie that I came to watch after executive decision. Right. And mm-hmm. then he gets on kind of like this weird made up airplane. You know, it's like an F-117 uh, right that that has like some kind of tunneling capability into another yeah you aircraft. can like board another aircraft it's through very it. yeah. strange and yep you're like this is gonna be a really cool movie. it's got a, like a um oh like a young kurt russell and like halle berry yep. and that kind of thing it's, it's a freaking cool movie and you're like yeah man like stephen skull right he's gonna be a big deal nope fucking 15 minutes into that movie he's trying to board that airplane and he gets sucked out the side. And that is the last <laughs> you see of Steven Seagal. Like this man had front billing in the movie. Yeah, I he think did. Maybe like the first or second name that goes across that screen when you're watching the beginning credits. So which is kind of weird because at the time, like 
dude, like Kurt Russell's always been like the man. Like you think about after Escape from New York and the thing and and everything else he was in, like Kurt Russell, you know, uh even uh when he was in that movie, what was it, ninety what was it, ninety two or ninety three? Uh, I can't remember, but you know, like he was your like your man's man of of action films. Um, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. You know, like yeah. that's a huge one. Um, and so like my dad's like diehard. You know, I'm I'm sure he's got like a uh, man love for <laughs> for Kurt Russell. He's a cool uh, dude. Yeah, he's still a cool dude when he when he shows up. So, uh, but yeah, it's like I I kind of wonder like why he wasn't the main build name on that. But you find yeah. out it's definitely a Kurt Russell. movie. It's a Kurt Russell movie. Yeah, and that's the funniest thing is like even in the trailers and everything, I think he shows up for like five seconds until later on. Like if you see, I think it's trailer two or three for that movie, like in a plane. Yeah, exactly. He gets the center (laughs) center billing, you know, but it's like, uh, a lot of good actors in that movie. Um, like bad guys, good guys, everybody is like, it's all, it's just, it is like stereotypical nineties action, but it's done in a really, uh, fun and well-paced way. And I think that there's a lot of like the terror on a plane kind of things that you could watch. Yeah. Um, I think there's even some references that almost like make you scratch your head because it's a little prescient in a way. Uh, Cause it is like terrorists taking over a plane kind of deal. Obviously it's a lot more Hollywood than what actually happens, but, mm-hmm. uh, or happened, but it's, uh, but in in a way, uh, uh, maybe looking back at it now, it gives it more gravity. But at the time, it was a is a thoroughly entertaining movie. But I think I think I actually saw that in the theaters, and I was just like, I almost oh, wow. stood up and was like, "What the fuck? Like, what happened?" You know, because the second that Steven Seagal gets sucked out the side of that airplane, I'm just like, <laughs> "Oh my god! Like, is that it?" You know, like because you almost it's almost beyond belief. You know, because you think to yourself, there oh, he's going to make a comeback. Like he he caught himself on the wing, and he's going to like punch his way through the airplane, right? No, yeah. dude's gone the entire movie. He's dead. Like, yeah. don't that, don't even worry about it. That definitely did a lot of. I mean, because that movie came out, uh, and what they did there was before, like you started seeing that in TV series and films. You know, like Jack Bauer's wife getting killed at the end of the first season, twenty four. Right, know, and all that other stuff. Like where you just you you totally expect everything to go well and then it it doesn't so yeah it, it's like the end yeah. of the immortal very action ahead of heroes time. yeah it was True. really cool um anyway I'll, i got to burn through the rest of this david schwimmer yeah. is next on my list because i when i was watching him in friends <laughs> i actually thought that was a he's a funny funny guy right pivot I, uh, pivot 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 yeah he's he's a, like in that like he's annoying in that show but it's almost like you watch it and you think he's supposed to be annoying right Everybody yeah. in that show elicits He's like your underdog. Yeah. Everybody in that show elicits the feelings that they want you to feel. That's why, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a hallmark of a good actor. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I really had that, that kind of thought that I was like, God, this guy, um, like if you want to punch him in the face is like, cause he wants you to punch him in the face. You know, that's the right. feeling that you get. And so I actually held him in fairly high regard with, with, uh, some of those actors and actresses. Um, but then, uh, the poor Matthew Perry. But when you get to the end of uh, like David Schwimmer's career inside of that, then you start seeing him. I think it was like six days, seven nights and that kind of thing. Oh like, yeah. yeah. And, and then a uh, band of brothers and that kind of, yep. thing. and you realize that maybe he is just a whiny bitch. <laughs> 
Now, I don't. I don't know. I don't like Banner Brothers know, for sure. Yeah, I don't same know thought David, entered my head. I don't know David Schwimmer personally, but but it, it, at this point, I only have one image of David Schwimmer, and and it's him as Ross trying to lead a platoon during World War II. Like that's mm-hmm. it, and uh, like he's Ross in everything. Now he's cocky Ross in some in some shows he's like regular Ross and other shows and he's completely useless Ross and other shows, but he's always Ross. Yeah. Yeah. You it's never see good. him in different roles, like playing a hero or a bad guy. He's just always like, he's always just there. You it know? was, it was like something that I really wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt in the nineties. And I wanted to be like, this is uh this is a multidimensional actor and he's really good at making me want to hit him in the face. And then I realized that he just he like he wants to be hit in the face, like every single thing that he does, he deserves to be hit in the face. And, uh, and that was a massive letdown for me. So, yeah, uh, David Schwimmer, uh, not a fan, apparently good, good decent, do, be decent behind the camera, apparently mm-hmm. uh, done some interesting stuff. Um, but then like the last thing I saw him and him in was like some kind of like me too sexual assault PSA. And I was just like, wow, I don't understand what the fuck is happening anymore. Um <laughs> I mean, I'll be like, seriously, I was just like, why are you still hired? Um, yeah. My last one is, is my, my heavy hitter and that's Adam Sandler. Um, bless yep. his heart. I love almost made my list too. I, I want him. I want him to do well. Um, every single thing I see him in, I want him to do well. I really do. And it's, it's because of my snapshot of him in the nineties and the early two thousands, because he had, uh, it, it wasn't a run. You know, you can't call two movies a run, but Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore are really funny movies. And if you uh, especially in the in the framework of the 90s, I mean, you have to suspend a lot of your like, you know, current uh, druthers, you know, when you go back and you watch that movie like uh, you, you're not going to get something that's inoffensive. It is very much just like a 90s comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Adam Sandler being Adam Sandler. But there's a lot, even through Wedding Singer. I loved Wedding Singer. People didn't like Wedding Singer. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, then you get to like Little Nicky, and yeah. <laughs> and you've you've lost me. I now I did one thing with Little Nicky, the same thing that I did with Club Dread from from Broken Lizard, the guys that created uh, uh, Super Troopers. Is yep. as I sat down and I watched it so much. Back to back, I literally like Clockwork Orange to myself into liking those movies. I <laughs> I sat down and I watched them over and over and over and over again. I cannot tell you how many hours of my life I've devoted to watching those shitty movies, and yet, at the time, I got to the point where they were like quotable and funny to me, and then I would like mention something like that to some of my friends, yeah. and they would look at me like, "Are you like what is that from?" I'm like, "Oh, it's from Little Nicky." And they're just like, please don't, you know, have you, have you considered not quoting that movie? Because nobody <laughs> knows like, I, like when's, when's the next time you're going to reference Popeye's chicken, you know, in a weird right. like demon voice. Don't do it. Just don't. <laughs> um, it, but it, God, what a disaster. I, I like, um, I like him. I don't think that he phones it in all the time. I think that he phones it in often. And, I don't want to believe that because I do think that there's a lot of meat to his acting that he's capable of. And, uh, and sometimes it shows up and sometimes it doesn't, but his like weird, like pure comedy gold moments have seemingly gone. 
you know, because now right. he's like playing the lovable schlub or like the shitty dad or something like that. And it's kind of like, I, I don't know, like, do you think this is testing you or do you, are you worried that you're out of material? Because there's, there's more to be explored here than what you're doing with it. You know, I'd like to believe he's a funny guy and, and his writers are not funny people, you know, but I'm not getting that feeling anymore. So, yeah, well, and I, I did like that movie, Funny People, but uh, yeah, he's done some interesting things because it's it, he's he kind of found found himself in the realm, kind of like Jim Carrey, where he was doing these funny movies. And then after the 90s, he got into like Punch Drunk Love and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a few other films that are more serious roles. And I think he did well in most of those, but, but he just couldn't get back to being funny again. And I think that's what a lot of people wanted. Same thing with like Jim Carrey, where you want him to be funny again, but all those films just didn't work. And you see Sandler now, and it's just kind of like, he's become that like go to straight for Netflix type film that they're all just not that great. Um, Now, I haven't seen the last one he did with Jennifer Aniston, but I've heard it's not bad. It was but the again, highest production values of all the ones he's done so far. Yeah, but it's more of a that's more of a dramedy, you know, something it was. that's a drama and a comedy, you know. So but getting back to like a straight comedy, you know, I, I, I remember watching uh Don't Mess with uh Zohan. Zohan I think yeah. Zohan and uh, some people like that movie, but I just I saw it in theater, unfortunately, and I was just like, are you, are you serious? Like there was a scene where he ends up, uh, needing to take a phone call or something like this. I don't know why this still sticks in my mind. And of course he's trying to deliver a baby in a a supermarket or a store or something. And for whatever reason, his phone's in his hand. Well, where does it end up? But in this woman's vagina and and then he's trying to get it. And I'm just like, really this is in this movie that's it it was just it was so over the top that it was i know it offended a lot of people but it was also just it was too ridiculous and too absurd even for me and i'm just like "Eh, this isn't the sandler that i liked growing up and i kind of feel like if chris farley you know did not pass away he probably would have ended up in the same sort of realm where he'd start making some bad films eventually but yeah adam sandler great pick to round out your list yeah um I'm not going to say that. I'll tell you about that after after we're done. I can't say that on, okay. on the air or else <laughs> I'll get fired um, from everything I have. But the uh, we, we don't have a lot of time. We're up against a, a wall. So let's talk yep. about Lego real quick. I mean, just let's bang this out because it's it's the Lego Masters finale that showed up. And uh, and I loved uh, the show from the very beginning to the very end. That's not uh, we both did. Right. I mean, like yeah. there's some there's some things we didn't like about it. And we'll there were a few episodes where they tried some different things and they were kind of lackluster on on, I'd say, like towards the latter half of the show. Um, definitely after Crystal and Amy ended up exiting, um, you know, there were a couple episodes there where I was like, OK, I, I didn't like how the judges were. They were constantly like doing this and then, you know, pausing it. And OK, now we're going to do this and, and changing mm-hmm. it up and it just felt like it. They, they didn't really have a concrete sort of uh, roadmap, but I feel like the last two episodes really had a very strong roadmap with the Star Wars episode and right. then with this finale. I agree with that. And the uh, and I also believe that, strangely enough, I believe Will Arnett actually made that uh, show uh, blissfully self-aware 
whereas a mm-hmm. lot of reality shows are not. So uh, he was he was very aware and ready to hammer on the tropes of modern reality show competitions. And that was not a scary thing. That was a breath of fresh air. Uh, whether you like Will Arnett or not, I agree that that uh, like being being aware of what you're doing and and being able to break that fourth wall and talk to the audience and make it feel like you're enjoying it with them. And it's kind of like this weird, uh, very rigid setup that has existed. And yet he was able to kind of break that barrier down and be like, hey, maybe we're going to do this this time. Maybe we're not, you know, but it was it was he always added something. And so I hope he stays with it. I hope he is able to come back to the next season because I, I, I did enjoy him being a part of that. Uh, do you agree with the final uh the judgment. Yeah. So the 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 final teams we had Mark and Boone, who have been some of my favorites. I know we talked about them early on. They impressed us even when personal we favorites. With Crystal and Amy. Yeah. Per- right. Definitely. I, I could see us hanging out with those dudes and getting along. Absolutely. And you could tell there's very much like a, a brotherhood kinship between them and they just fire on all cylinders. They're very impressive with their design. Um, and then we had uh, Tyler and Amy, which you know, we even talked about with Crystal Namy in our interview that we did yep. uh, for Lego Masters. And, um, you know, they they're definitely very impressive builders. The fact that Tyler builds sets and, and you know, it definitely gives him an advantage. And he's been like building Lego since he was five, I believe he said. And they have a really good like she's able to pick up on stuff because she's I believe she said she's a music teacher or something with music. So, you know, the two of them really gel well. Um, and you could tell like they might have their backs up against the wall, but they always build something really great. Right. So I knew that they would be in the final and probably the final two. So the fact that they did it as kind of like final three teams and they just could build whatever they want, I thought was really excellent. And the fact that yeah. they did that rather than it just be team versus team. So it definitely added some more interesting dynamics there. And then of course, you know, the underdog favorite going into it, um, Sam and which, Jessica. which was, which was Sam and Jessica. And, uh, and I've been following uh, Jessica on Instagram and she'll do these like live Instagram videos where people will kind of ask her questions and stuff after the show and thought that was really cool that she does that. And she does, you know, some really interesting artwork, but the two of them in the beginning of the show did not work well together. And there was a lot of infighting, you know, and, and two, they, they kind of had a disadvantage because, um, you know, Jessica talked about this on her Instagram that there's all these teams, they have history with each other. I'd say Amy and Crystal probably knew each other a little bit more, uh, than, than some of the teams that didn't know each other. Uh, but, but Sam and Jessica and Amy and Crystal probably had the most disadvantage because all these other teams, they were either best friends since they were younger or best friends like Mark and Boone or married couples, or they've known each other their whole lives, you know? So it's very different working with someone like that compared to someone you just met. And Sam and Jessica had the most disadvantage because they didn't meet until the auditions. Right. And he lives in California. She lives, I believe in Connecticut, Connecticut, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was real interesting, but you know, she's, Definitely very much like a strong leader um, and definitely galvanized him into not giving up and pushing forward. And just because it may seem impossible, just keep pushing forward. So I really like that dynamic. And you really saw that team get better and better throughout the weeks. So I really enjoyed seeing these three as the the, the finalists. Now going into their build and everything, um, you know, into the final decision where Tyler and Amy ended up winning the whole thing. 
Uh, you know, I, it was crazy. They gave them 24 hours to build whatever they wanted, but play to their strengths. So I thought that was a really great call that they weren't like, oh, you got to build a clown or you got to build whatever, you know, and I'm glad that they let them do that. And, uh, so the judges had a very tall order to pick somebody now with their builds, you know, Mark and Boone's to me impressed me the most because there was so much ingenuity of design where, you know, you stick this sword in, in the thing and, and the, the signs flip and you see all the different levels. And it was like the tallest thing they'd ever built. Uh, I was real impressed with their build and thought, honestly, they should have won it um, yeah. just based I, on I'll their ingenuity. Um, yeah. But Sam and Jessica's were my second favorite. That peacock was amazing. They never built a peacock before. So the fact that that was their first ever build together doing that with the monkey and stuff on the other side, it was a very cute story. And I thought the... Uh, the design of the peacock was just epic and and amazing, and I think uh, Jessica said that all three of those are actually going to be uh, put on display at Legoland. So they it's should not be. like just the winner. So they all three be. of them are going to be yeah. So and then it got to Tower and Amy, and they had this long tower thing with this you know uh, Griffin at the top and all the Griffin stuff. yeah, and, and the Griffin you know the design of the wings was cool, but if I I feel like the the judges got a little too carried away with the design of the wings. Everything else looked really cool with the detail, but I just didn't think it was as detailed as Mark and Boone's. Um, Sam and Jessica definitely had their artistic, you know, impression. And I thought artistically theirs was very strong, but I think Mark and Boone's, you know, just looking at originality and telling a story and all that, they definitely should have won it. Um, there's been some, you know, a lot of people kind of complaining online and even um, talking with, you know, uh, people in, in Jessica's comments on Instagram that the the rumor is or a lot of people think um, that there's a conspiracy that the reason why Tyler and Amy got it was because Amy had to uh, announce that she was pregnant and that they were getting a new house. So they were just like, you know, oh, so that's why the judges gave him a hundred thousand dollars and gave it to her, and and so there's kind of that aspect. But I really think the judges kind of, I I don't think there was any sort of like politics involved. I think they really went with what they thought was the best build. And really, if you kind of look at, if you're judging based on not just that design but the whole season, Tyler and Amy were probably the more you know they had more ingenuity um, in their builds and really did an impressive job on all of them. So. Right. I'm okay with it, but I kind of feel like Mark and Boone deserved it more. I think that's fair. I uh, I would have picked Mark and Boone as the top. And I've also said in the interview that uh, Tyler and Amy were my uh, were my favorites, but not on a personal level. And I meant that. Um, they uh, why why is that? I remember I remember uh, Amy and Crystal asked you that uh, in our interview, um, which listeners definitely go and check that out if you haven't, but, um, we had a really great interview with them at the beginning of the, sh- of the season. So, uh, I already know why I couldn't really stand personally Tyler and Amy, but what about you? Um, they're the least approachable, I think of all the people that were there, uh, just from a, a personality standpoint. I don't, yeah. I don't I, I, they were, they were very difficult to relate to. Um, it, it doesn't have anything to do with their ambitions or their dreams or their person I mean, or not. Yes. Their personality, of course it does, but, um, it doesn't have to deal with a lot of their, uh, motivations, I guess is what I would say, because I think it's fine. I mean, it's awesome. They're, they're starting a family, they're newlyweds. Uh, they, they have every right to be all over each other all the time because they're newlyweds. I really don't give a crap about that. Um, you know, I mean, they're not making me uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not around them all the time, but, uh, 
but the one thing that really stuck out to me was personality wise like there are not very they were the least accessible team personality wise yeah i agree they're not relatable uh you know compared to all the other teams that seem to have like greater personality or more relatable you know so yeah, yeah i would agree with you on that so that was that was kind of my takeaway on that and i won't get more into it than that honestly sure, not, yeah. i don't have anything strictly against them as people i think that uh it was it was a guarantee from the very beginning that uh, they had they had skill mm-hmm. and and they were consistent performers and I think that Mark and Boone were also very consistent performers and they pulled a lot of rabbits out of their hat and I think that's awesome uh, but I also think that Mark and Boone should have won um, I think that uh, Tyler and Amy have been constantly incredible as far as their ability to build goes. And I also think that uh, Sam and Jessica's uh, story was the strongest throughout the entire, uh, like as far as a thread throughout the entire show, I think that the actual results uh, were, were really good. I think it's hard to show a comparison between consistent performers like Mark and Boone and Tyler and Amy versus someone like Sam and Jessica who were clearly underdogs at the very beginning and created such an incredible work at the very end. I think that's kind of, you kind of have to weigh that even though you're not supposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, on a, on a, on a show by show basis. So if they're going to walk out of there, I'd say like, if you're going to take it in aggregate, maybe Tyler and Amy did deserve it. But, um, but I also think that Mark and Boone probably deserved it just as much. And, uh, and I think Sam and Jessica, uh, easily should have been in, in a second place, you know, and probably more often than not, especially after that star Wars built that kicked ass. So yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's my take on it, but it was a great I mean, show. Yeah. I, I thought it was, it was very heartwarming what they did, like bringing the families there where they, they took a break, like after the 12, the first 12 hours. And then of course, whenever they, you know, like you could tell it's like the next day when they come back, you know, after the judges have had like overnight to, you know, assess their builds, uh, there's their families in the audience. There's a bunch of other people. And then on the staircase, you see all the competitors of this season, including Amy and Crystal right there, you know, uh, front center to cheer them on. And I, I thought that was really awesome because it really, it really put an emphasis, you know, that's the thing about this whole show is that there was a big emphasis on, uh, you know, there was no cutting each other down. There might've been some jabs here and there, but it was more like fun, competitive jabs, you know, between Mm -hmm. like, uh, a few of the teams, but you know, everybody was in it together and Lego is about a sense of community. And I feel like they really, did a great job, uh, you know, the directors and Fox, and they, they put a really great emphasis on community and that everybody was in it together to cheer everybody on. And you definitely saw that front and center at the, at the end. And I think everybody was pretty happy just to be in the top three. I know Jessica and Sam were completely proud of what they did and accomplished. And I think too, that, um, you know, regardless of, who ended up exiting the show when at the beginning or end of the season, I think it's going to definitely help uh, everybody that was involved in that show with greater opportunities, whether it's for their art or for other projects. You know, um, I, I do know that uh, someone did mention that they signed a, uh, an NDA, like a contract. And I guess this usually happens if you're on a reality show that, you know, after you, you complete this season, 
you can't do another reality show for at least two years. So you probably yeah. won't see them do that, but you know, it's going to open the doors and for in windows for a lot of different, um, people. And I'm, I'm really hoping that it does for Amy and Crystal. Cause it, you know, talking with them, that was such a, a treat for, for us and definitely a highlight for this show. And, uh, they're just so bright and have a lot of things going for them that, you know, I wish them nof- nothing but the best. And I feel like that this kind of, you know, was the right time and moment for them to kind of put the spotlight on them and, you know, who knows, but we'll, we'll see what happens for all the competitors. But yeah, yeah I thought it was a really well done finale. Um, and yeah, really cool show. Really. I will definitely tune in for season two and see what happens. I definitely will too. Well, uh, this was a fun episode. We definitely went longer than we have in the past, but, yeah, uh, radio XL episode for sure. <laughs> XXL size. Yeah. Definitely had a lot of fun talking with you today, Carl. Look forward to our next episode next week. Listeners. Of course you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at since we loud on Facebook at since we loud media. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in to next week's episode of Sensibly Loud Radio.